Ladies and gentlemen and non-binaries alike, my name is Jason Peters. I am the host, editor, writer, and producer of this podcast series. This episode is all about homelessness, and it's gonna get sad. But guess what? You can read. You clicked on it for a reason. You're a better person than all the other subscribers that saw this episode that was about homelessness and decided to skip it. So, to reward you, at the end of the homelessness episode, we're going to talk about roller coasters. Sound good? Let's get into it. So, let's talk about homelessness. We're going to take the risk of being extremely honest and candid about homelessness in our lifetime. And by we, and our, I mean me, the only person in charge of making this. What does homelessness mean to you? Genuinely, as a word, what is homelessness? The first night I ever spent in Dublin, Ireland, I slept on a bench until my friend found me at 6.30am. Is that homelessness? Does that one night spent without shelter categorize me as a homeless person? From December 2016 to May 2017, I lived in the hallway of a house that I once previously lived in. But I wasn't on the lease. I didn't have a room, a door, and four walls for nearly six months. Is that homelessness? I'm not afraid to admit that I'm a man of relative privilege. Although my net worth may hover somewhere around negative 90000 I always can, at the very least, scramble to make rent. Then I have a safety net upon eviction or unemployment that I could move back in with my parents, a safety net that I have never used or intended to take advantage of. Nevertheless, in the back of my mind, I'm aware that this is a truth. I ask you as a listener, no matter what time period you're in, imagine today, whatever day it is today, you lose it all. Your job, your money, you're late on rent, credit has run dry, and you get evicted. What's your backup plan? How far removed from homelessness are you? For me, I know I can survive, let's say, one to three months just off my friend's hospitality alone. But that's because I've got some really tolerant and kind people in my life, the type of people that would allow me to live in a hallway. I need to mess that up and continue to not find work through those months, then fall deeper to the point where I have to ask my family then I'm sure my family would allow me to stay with them until I'm back on my feet. So genuinely consider and take into account how far removed from homelessness you are. I'll give you a few seconds. That was a few seconds. And if your answer was anything more than a few months, recognize your privilege. That's what privilege is. As long as my parents are alive, I'll never be homeless. Some people don't have the privilege of a good family Also, people grow old and detached from their families. A billion things could happen in this wildlife. I'd say I'm at least 20 years removed from homelessness, and I'd probably need to burn every single bridge in my life. So yeah, 
That's just about how far removed I am from homelessness. The reality of me sleeping on the streets is only possible if I begin excessive drug use, which is the caveat to homelessness that we often have to consider. But that's a mixed bag. The classic, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Did you start doing drugs because of your impoverished lifestyle, then become an addict, then become homeless? Or did you become homeless and then become an addict to cope? This is the issue with the homeless conversation. It's too individual-based. I'm sure that the majority of homeless people have gut-wrenching stories of death and suffering. And I'm sure others are just dum-dums that have caused issues in their lives and refuse to change. But I think the most apt way to describe the homeless population is that these are people that have been forgotten or given up on. And I reserve my judgments both ways. I neither blame the homeless nor the people that have allowed them to become homeless because I've seen it with my own eyes. I know people who were not homeless and are homeless right now as we speak. And I know the reverse of people that were homeless and now have homes. I'm a homeless aficionado. I've always been interested in the subject. I remember how specifically excessive the homeless problem in San Francisco was when I visited as a child. Then I visited New York and D.C. more cognizantly. Then I moved into Philadelphia and found places like the Convention Center and the South Broad Street Mission Church where the homeless congregate, not to mention Kensington. The obvious route to go for this episode is to talk to people. But guess what? Most homeless people don't want to talk. Even less homeless people know what a podcast is or could give a shit about what I have to say. And not only that, but it makes for very depressing audio. For example, this is me and a man named Mike. So what is your name, buddy? Michael. Michael? Yeah. Um, how long have you been out on the streets? And five years. Five years? Yeah, um, five years. How... Would you like to take me to how you have gotten here, what your what your story is, or just who you are? Yeah, me and my wife wasn't getting along. She told me to get out. Okay. Tell that. That was five years ago. I told one kid and left. Okay. And and um, did your disability come about after or before that? Before. Um, what exactly is is uh, your challenge? I had, a, I had a stroke. You had a stroke, and then you, were you born without your leg? Or? No. So what do you do most nights? I sleep in the church. You sleep in the church. Can you say the name of the church and where we are? Mercy. We're born in Pine. Okay, um, I don't want to just talk to you like you're homeless. Um, what do you like? What do you care about? What do you think about on a day-to-day? I think about my family, my kids. No, I'm sorry, man. It's all right. I know that this isn't pleasant to talk about. Yeah, and I, yeah. I, I, as an interviewer, have a hard time bridging this conversation. Uh-huh. But I just want to know, um, do you think that the homeless situation will be better or worse in the year 2100? Probably worse. Worse? Why is that? I don't know. The way it is out here. The way the world is. What is the way the world is? Because people don't care. Not. People don't care. City don't care. Government. I, I, and, and it's unfortunate that I agree. Um, is there anything that you'd like to say to anyone that might hear this or to the people to 2100? No, not really. No, not really. Depressing, correct? So, in order to cover this topic in a way that would not bore us all to tears and make us all very upset... I had to get creative. Luckily, while I was in London studying abroad to challenge myself, I joined a program called the Page to Stage Program, in which I had to write a play and then act in that play. I did this because growing up, I never did theater in like high school because I was too busy being a jerk and judging everyone who did theater instead of learning a valuable skill and becoming more accepting. But you live and you learn. I wrote a story that blends the insane reality of the homeless community in London with a lot of the reality of what I had learned about over there. 
I wrote a play in British dialect about a 36-year-old woman, British woman, named Sarah, becoming homeless for the first time. She's an erratic woman with bipolar disorder who's been evicted from her home. She was staying with her best friend Betty, but Betty's husband demanded that they kick her out of the house because she'd been blacking out drunk in front of their toddler. She has no family, she is severely mentally ill, and she has a drinking problem. See, Sarah's parents died young, and she never recovered. She was emotionally stunted, didn't have resources, and she lived in council housing, which is essentially housing provided by the British government, kind of like welfare, but with less of a stigma because it's the UK. So, like, if you need help from the government, people are like, oh, you needed help. Good, we all help each other out. Rather than in America, we're like, ah, you blood-sucking welfare recipient. You're ruining everything. But different strokes for different folks. Um, and Sarah failed to keep up with the job requirements and the rent she needed to keep her council house. So she has no help. These are the first minutes of Sarah's homelessness battling with her self-conscious. Betty, Stephen and their kid. No help. Fucking council takes my home from me. Fucking council. You're blaming council? Council. Council is the only reason you had a home in the first place. They gave us a home. How on earth could you blame council when you knew this would be the end? You had every chance. Uni was an option. Therapy was available. I just couldn't. You couldn't. You couldn't. And you never could. We never could. And look at where that's gotten us. Are you happy now that you're at rock bottom? To prove we never could? Now we'll just lay on the side of the street. At least we have gin. Gin, of course. And 50 quid. No, 30 quid. Yes, Sarah, because you oh so brilliantly tried to gamble our way out of homelessness. How do I get out of this? I'm afraid it's too far gone. Is there really nowhere to go but up? Have clichés failed us? God forbid. I think this is life now. Unless Prince Charming comes along. But out of our prime is an understatement. And I don't think homeless is going to sit well on a first date. Not that we were ever a catch. I mean, we were pretty, offbeat, had potential. But now... Potentially, all potential is gone. No. Yes. 36, manic. You're lucky if pigeons approach you. I'm miserable that I can't leave you, and I am you. I am me. Get it together. You aren't all to blame. School was cruel. When mum passed, dad was broken. Then you had to find love, which never happened. Or at least we never knew what love was. Then, of course... Gin. Gin. Because when you're this hollow, you need to drink to get rid of me. Things will be fine. Things will be fine. Sooner or later, things will be fine. Stay safe tonight. Hopefully tomorrow will be easier. Bye. The title of my play is Bye Bye. Get it? Bye, like bipolar, and then bye, because as Sarah drinks, her subconscious goes away, 
But what you guys don't get to see is that the subconscious is introduced to the audience as her father. And in the scene you just heard, it's the revelation that her father is dead and it's all in her mind. And as she drinks, the subconscious goes away. All very artsy. And Bye Bye will likely never be made. So I thank my two very talented British actor friends, Tom Hartwell and Becky Black, for putting that together for me. And check out Tom Hartwell at Edinburgh Fest for the entire month of August 2019 if you're in Scotland. Off the, in the off chance that you're in Scotland in 2019, go see Tom Hartwell. <laughs> I loved the idea of talking about homeless British people in this podcast because my audience is primarily American. When you imagine homelessness, I bet you don't imagine an old Brit covered in dirt with his dog crying and drinking Scrumpy Jack on Pentonville Road like I saw every single day. You imagine whatever version of homelessness you witness. Poverty, like everything else, is subjective. Homelessness is a sadly fascinating issue with many angles. There are tons of ways to look at it, sociologically, psychologically, economically, using religion, through a Darwinian lens, through an altruistic lens, or any combination of different ways. Marxism, Buddhism, you name it. That's why it's so difficult to solve homelessness, because to do that, you essentially have to create a utopia in which all people choose to be involved which I do not think is possible. Within any type of society that revolves around finance and individual worth, there are always going to be a set of outcasts, losers, rejects, or unfortunate people that live outside the system either by choice or by force. The actions of several individuals are what leads human beings down a path. Take influences that you've faced and interacted with in your life. Those interactions are ultimately what made you you. If you grew up Catholic, you learned one set of rules and values. If you grew up with a mother that had abandonment issues, that could be one reason that you are the way you are. Depending on how your mom and dad grew up and then they decided to raise you, that stuff's gonna rub off on you. If you had a dog, if you were on a swim team, if you went to camp, there are traceable reasons to why you like certain food, music, political ideologies, your career, and certain people in your life. Those interactions have gotten you to where you are, whether you are homeless or a billionaire. No one person is an island. Everyone was raised by somebody and was taught the things they know from other people. Therefore, no individual is intrinsically responsible or culpable for how they turn out. We just live within a system that allows for massive wealth inequality, allowing some people to sleep on the streets, homeless, while others have billions. For an international perspective, let's go across the pond to London, where wealth inequality is rampant. To ask my friend, entertainment journalist Adam Stevens, about billionaire culture and some cultural differences between America and the UK. So, Adam, how do you feel about billionaires in your time? I guess it's important to differentiate between someone who has billions and someone who's just worth billions. Because if you're just worth billions, there's a pretty good bet you're single-handedly propping up an industry, and that's fine. Good for you. You succeed in that. You're probably a major, like, job provider, so I'm not going to complain, although... Uh... If you have billions, though, like, whether there are people who have literally just so much wealth... There's an old phrase for that, and I think it is, profit is the theft of labor. 
Um, being a billionaire with that kind of money is just crazy. You're like the dragon from The Hobbit at that point. You know, you're not you're not a positive impact in anything. When billionaires get that rich and they're literally not saving lives every second, then they're just a tumor. Do you think that there's any difference between how wealth is viewed in America versus the UK? See, I love this topic because I think it speaks to history. There's a quote that's probably misattributed to John Steinbeck that I'm going to paraphrase. It goes something like this. The poor in America see themselves not as an exploited proletariat, but as a as temporarily embarrassed millionaires. I think I got that right. I, I love that quote. Um, in my experience of Americans, it holds true a lot of the time. Not all the time, but a lot of the time. I think everyone's got a plan, a path, a goal that is going to lead them to success, that's going to make them a millionaire in the future. Um the British just don't have that, you know, Americans, a lot of Americans like people like Donald Trump. They, they like the super, super, super rich because in a society that's like really capitalistic, right? In a society that has a healthcare system where if you don't have money, you will die if you get injured. Uh, people like millionaires pretty much, they're the big success, right? They're, they're the peak, they're the pinnacle. They're the victorious gladiators of life. But if the British know one thing after thousands of years of social memory, it's that the rich get rich off the backs of the poor. You know, privilege in the middle classes is pretty much demonized at this point. You know, even in the upper classes, they call fresh, they call people who are like freshly wealthy, they call them parvenus. You know, you might know them as, as new money. They, 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 they even have a fancy word for it. Um, so billionaires are absolutely powerful, but it kind of has to be old money. Like you have to be like your great, great, great grandfather has to be the king of Frankfurt or something. Then you get the respect amongst the wealthy. Um, and then like you can never flaunt it. You know, like how... Um, how rappers always drive around in, in, you know, nice cars. They wear lots of gold. That's weird in England. Like, the Queen has to wear, like, Wellington boots and stuff. We can't... The rich can't look rich because that's tacky, right? I mean, we've currently got past this... You know, in the UK, we've had this, we've had this big news story about this um, low-income housing high-rise called Grenfell Tower. It became an inferno in about 30 minutes flat and it killed roughly like 70 people because the rich people who built it didn't bother making sure it was safe from fire and stuff like that. Um, There were no sprinklers. The demonstrations in the UK were absolutely crazy. If a billionaire in the United States did that, they built a low-income tower that had lots of poor people move into it and then they died and the building burned down, I guarantee you there'll be a news outlet somewhere that paints the billionaire as the victim of immigrant pyromaniacs. I guarantee it that will happen. Adam, do you think that there will be billionaires in 2100? Oh, definitely. I mean, it's it's fucking mystifying to me that after all these years people are still terrified of you know the red scare and socialist concepts like wealth redistribution 
and people still believe in like weird propaganda terms like trickle down economics but they absolutely do I hope I'm wrong and that when the baby boomers have long died out in 2100, their economics will die with them, but I'm not holding my breath. Like, how do people, even now, believe that a rich guy buying a million dollar sports car creates more jobs than if 50 people bought $20,000 cars? How is that a belief? One thing I'm pretty certain of, there's probably going to be roughly the same number of billionaires keeping in line with population because billionaires just, you know, they will steal other billionaires' money. Um, If capitalism has gone full late stage in 2100 and the American dream just triggers a massive class holocaust, there will still be maybe 2,000 billionaires, you know, telling people to figure out their shit on the front page while 8 billion people starve. And I'm aware I sound super socialist right now. That's not usually me. Well, thank you, Adam. It's very nice to have a sophisticated sounding voice on my trash cast to the future. And I can vouch for Adam. I might lean further left than him. So I was kind of surprised to hear his answers. But while we're on the topic of billionaires, wealth inequality and homelessness, let's talk about Amazon founder and human leather jacket Jeff Bezos. His net worth floats in the $130 billion to $150 billion range. I had to record, re-record that so many times because I'm, I've never said the word billion out loud in like a real number sense. So that's how unfamiliar I am with it. Um, according to the Chicago Tribune, Jeff Bezos' company, Amazon, made $11.2 billion in profits and paid zero dollars in federal taxes yet they received a federal tax rebate of 129 million dollars meaning that amazon paid negative one percent in federal taxes in 2018 keep in mind that president donald trump also signed a massive tax cut for billionaires while simultaneously complaining about bezos and amazon not paying taxes but at least bezos net worth was gained on his own back unlike our president who inherited money out of tax shelters and used fraud tactics so advanced that he's seemingly got away with it. There are hundreds of billionaires that used impoverished nations and willfully ignorant Scandinavian countries as tax shelters to avoid paying into the systems that allowed them to get rich in the first place. It would cost $20 billion to end homelessness in America. In 2017, NFL stadiums received $6.7 billion of taxpayer money. According to The Guardian, Americans pay $20 billion of taxpayer money to fossil fuel companies annually. The people care about homelessness. The people in power do not. There is simply no incentive to solving homelessness in the eyes of the people in control. They don't see it as a way to profit because there is no easy way to profit directly off of making people's lives better. So society allows people to be lost and fall through the cracks and forgotten in the name of keeping an Excel sheet balanced. I empathize with the broken women and men that I met because I saw them as people. Listen to one interview I had with a homeless man that went reasonably well. His name is Fred. He was new to being homeless, much like Sarah from my play. Let's hear Fred out. What's your name, buddy? Fred. Okay, um, where are you from, bud? 
Honestly, uh, originally from Illinois, we would not hear Wait, wait for the call. Start with Fred. Fred? Uh, I used to live in North Philly. Um, I grew up in Illinois, though, Aurora, Illinois. I moved out here in 2008. Long story short, I became homeless. Ex-wife left. Took everything. Um, we had a daughter. She died. And, you know, you ruined a marriage. It happened. Um, I had 12 and a half years clean from drinking. Mm-hmm. I fell back into drinking. And then my mom died. No, I understand. Everything, it's, everything, it's a cycle. everything hit me at once. Yeah, really. that's usually how it is, especially when addiction's in the mix. And then, uh, I, haven't, I haven't drank, I haven't drank in three weeks. Yeah. That's good. I'm trying to get a job. I'm trying to get a job right now. I'll get back on my feet. How, so you're recently homeless? Yeah. I've been homeless, uh, going on eight weeks. Okay. Eight weeks. Yeah. So, uh, that's tough. Um, and is this your first time homeless? Yeah. Yeah, it is. How is how has the transition been? How is how is how do you plan to get out of this rut, Fred? This rut, um, get a job, get out. That's it. That's all I'm trying to do. Find work and, and get out and stay out. Why 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 do you think it's so easy for people to fall into your situation? <laughs> it's easy to give up sometimes. Let's keep it real. I get that. I'm about a hundred thousand dollars in student loan debt. Yeah. So you don't. That's the monster. That's the monster that's affecting the people in the houses. That's the reason why people like me can't can genuinely not help you. Like, what could I provide you? A hundred thousand dollars in debt? Nothing. But you are providing me some right now. I, I want to get your story out. I want to talk to people. The whole episode's on homelessness. Is there anything that you would like to say to the people of two thousand one hundred, or to talk about? I don't want to just talk to you like you're a homeless guy. If you have a topic that you would like to talk about, something that you care about, honestly, humanity, humanity level in this world has lost its meaning in a lot of ways. It really has. You know, I mean, there's, there's a lot of good people out there. Don't get me wrong. A lot of good people. I know. But there's there's people out there, though, that are just straight, you know. So you can say whatever you want. No, straight dickheads. I've had, I've had people spit at me. Here, I'll show you my time. See, I figured I'd be creative, you know. Yeah, because like, it's a hard situation. I'm a hustle. I'm going to be creative. Out of, out of work, ugly stripper. Yeah. Little strip for food. Yeah. You know, I mean, I like to eat. So. I know, and and I, I and can I give you a piece of advice yeah. as a passerby, um, <laughs> from a marketing standpoint, um, <laughs> someone might take that lightly. Someone might see that and take it as you take it lightly. Yeah. I see a lot of homeless people. You have too. Yeah, there's all types of strategies. Um, if I was homeless, which is a tough question to even think about it, even to talk to you about it, I don't know what I'd put on my sign. I just, I just think outside the box in my situation, you know? A lot of people, you know, and I, and I help. I try to help the other guys, too. It's like a community. That's yeah. why I came to the convention center. Yeah. Because I knew that on a snowy night, most of the shelters would be filled, and they'd all be getting let out in the morning, mm-hmm. and uh, I just happened to be here on a snowy day. It was probably a really hard night last night. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry, bud. I, I yeah. usually make rounds. I try to bring stuff when I have so stuff. Good. But I'm broke sorry. too, man. It's hey. a Friday and I ain't at work. That was Fred. And I, I think about Fred. I think about all the people I meet. I met a woman named Rose who was uh, she was 
she had a one leg that worked and her autistic 30-year-old son was in the back and she had had a malpractice in Virginia. I met Mike who was so distraught that he didn't want to talk. It's it's really different when you go out and talk. And I, like I said, I've dealt with tons of homeless people from whether it was the homeless people that slept outside my work at various jobs or the people in fucking London outside my building. But regardless, that's all very, very sad and we're going to stop beating the dead horse and we're going to get on the roller coaster. Joe? Joe! Coasters are the opposite of homelessness. To the people of the future, if roller coasters for some reason do not exist or you do not know what a roller coaster is, they are giant machines built for the purpose of entertainment. You sit in a roller coaster, go up a hill of sorts, and then gravity and acceleration do the work down a typically steel or wooden path, shaking the human body around and moving very fast, and for some reason as a species, We like it. We like it so much that we continue to build and fund newer and crazier roller coasters. Admittedly, I am a Diamond Elite member at Six Flags Great Adventure in New Jersey, home to many of the wildest roller coasters in the world. Not because I'm crazy about roller coasters or incredibly fond of amusement parks, but because my ex-girlfriend wanted to go to Six Flags, so I balled out. Now I'm single and I constantly feel pressured to use these stupid passes because I paid for them. But I digress. And Six Flags isn't a sponsor, so they can fuck right off. Roller coasters are typically housed in amusement parks. According to Grandview Research Firm, amusement parks' market net worth by 2025 is anticipated to be $70.58 billion. People love these places, and they are decent. Amusement parks are very blue-collar. They are built for the middle class to get out and have some fun. And if you keep track of the dollar figures that I've brought up throughout this podcast, yes, Jeff Bezos or Bezos, I know people are going to get mad about how how I said it, and I don't care how his name's pronounced. He's a billionaire. I got to get his name right. Uh, But Bezos could buy every single amusement park in the world and still have enough money to end homelessness in America and still be a billionaire. And every day he wakes up and doesn't. <laughs> I like to imagine that Bezos wakes up in his bed and he just goes, ah, not today. <laughs> Roller coasters were invented in the 1600s in Russia. They were essentially massive wooden ice slides. Sometimes you'd use a toboggan. Other times you'd ride a block of ice down a chute of ice. If you could imagine the most Russian thing in the world. Other times, you'd just hurl your body down the ice and then eventually land in a pit of sand. And these were structures, like imagine a slide or a, or a big like ramp. 
This idea made its way over to France, but ice melts in France. So they began to make wax slides, and then they came up with the idea of adding wheels to sleds to go down those slides. In 1817, the Roussesse à Belleville, and I'm sorry about the pronunciation there, it means the Russian mountains of Belleville, became the first roller coaster where there was a train cart attached to a track. But it's a copycat league, baby. The French began to expand on the idea, making it more and more complex. Meanwhile, throughout the world, there's a thriving slave trade. So think, France and Russia, roller coasters. America, think torturing and slaving generations of families. This is all going on between the times of the Revolutionary War and the Civil War. In 1817, while they are working on all this roller coaster stuff, Alaska was still technically part of Russia, going down ice slides on ice blocks, and Florida belonged to Spain, Hawaii still owned itself, there's no electricity, light bulbs didn't exist. Meanwhile, in France, they are scooting around for funsies. My home state of Pennsylvania became the American mecca of roller coasters in the mid-1800s with the opening of the Mock Chunk Switchback Railway, which was a converted coal train. Yes, America had roller coasters and slavery at the same time. What a nightmare of a place. The idea of coasters caught on. Soon amusement parks started to pop up throughout America. Kennywood Park in Pennsylvania and Coney Island in New York. And by the 1920s, there were more than 2,000 rides across the country. But then, obviously, as history goes, Great Depression, World Wars, genocides, technology, and madness. So roller coasters declined as people's families died in front of them and the entire world turned on each other. In about the 1970s and 1980s, there was a boom in roller coasters again. Now there are widespread Mall of America roller coaster. Vegas, Coaster, Disney World, Disney World Paris, Japan loves roller coasters. There are roller coasters everywhere. Roller coasters are a very, very crazy thing to consider. They are quite possibly the least useful machines ever produced. They have no upside. They do not create anything. They do not build anything. They simply are there to create a profit for a company. Roller coasters are designed by incredible engineers and geniuses that can figure out a way to allow people to stand up while being thrown 80 miles per hour safely. All for what? To go a little fast? To prolong this thing that we're doing? To shake up our lives? This episode isn't about homelessness or roller coasters. It's about one thing. Fairness. An idea that we're all sold on. Fairness. It's the foundation of capitalism, market stability, democracy, and all these ideas that we care about that are argued by politicians and news organizations, children and people all over the world. Children as young as 12 months old have a sense of fairness. It is this idea that people should be treated the same way, equal opportunity, equal chance. Seeing two topics like homelessness and roller coasters back to back just goes to show a minor glimpse into how idiotic the notion of fairness is. You cannot put quantity and worth to an abstract idea, especially when not a lot of people are following the same rules. 
this isn't something people are going to like to hear, but fairness and equality between people is just not possible. You have to play the deck you're handed. Some people will have billions. Others will be homeless. Some people were slaves and other people were riding roller coasters. No two people ever have the same life experiences. No two people are presented with the same two opportunities, not even twins. And no one person controls the entirety of their own life. We are products of what we see and experience and how we react. No one is ever going to be the exact same as you. Of course, there will still be homelessness in 2100, and there will also be a future for roller coasters unless all entertainment goes virtual and we decide that those big, ridiculous machines are wasteful. You heard Mike talk about how he has nothing to say to the people of the future. He was a man without hope. Then you heard me talk about how I resented the fact that I have a VIP membership to Six Flags. The world isn't fair. Thank you for listening, and happy 2100. I once wished peace, now I shall rest in pieces. This is the mind of Swamp-Based Jesus. My tormented life's been ending forever alone and not once befriended. My cranium assaulted, mind's been sculpted. Drop dead gorgeous, trapped in the forest. I'm the king, bow down, you other fuckers forfeit. Paranoia rips the whole out of control. You don't know who they are, or what they're fighting for, what you do, what you tell because your wife thinks so. Swag, don't know who they are, or what they're fighting for, what you do, what you tell because your wife has been so. Don't know who they are, or what they're fighting for, what you do, what you tell because your wife has been so. Don't know who they are, or what they're fighting for, but if you're asking me, this shit is getting old! My enemy isn't a friend, but just another enemy playing pretend. The enemy of my enemy isn't a friend, but just another enemy playing pretend. The enemy of my enemy isn't a friend, but just another enemy playing pretend. The enemy of my enemy isn't a friend, but just another enemy playing pretend. Swap! Swap! Special thanks to Ben Volano for creating my theme music. Uh, The Chicago Tribune for some facts. How Stuff Works for some facts. Um, Mike and Fred, as well as the two delightful British actors that helped me out. uh, Tom Hartwell and Becky Black. um, Adam Stevens. Yeah, and then just uh, music by Gape and Swagbase Jesus.
Um, thank you very much for listening. Please like and subscribe, etc. Bullshit. Share. And uh, finales next week, baby. One more ep.